It's always so humbling to get that prayer um, that God would use sinners such as myself to, to do this. It's just amazing. Well, good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. It is no secret that we live in a world dominated by evil. It seems that we are constantly being told of a new act of violence or another instance of incredible wickedness. I think of abortion. Our nation has legalized the murder of innocent babies, right? And we love our babies. I think of gay marriage. It's a perversion of the sanctity of God's institution of marriage. Not only are these examples I have mentioned perfect norms in our society today, it is becoming something we cannot even speak out against as Christians without persecution. What about human trafficking? Millions of people are abducted each year and sold for sex or forced labor. Friends, how should we consider this wickedness in our world? How should we think about God and his judgment of those who oppose him? How can we continue to trust in God when wickedness seems to abound? If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at chapter 52. If you don't have your Bible, feel free to use one of the pew Bibles. It looks like this. I've been preaching from it so that we can always show it as an example. You have one in front of you. It's page 561 in your pew Bible. Psalm 52. To the choir master, a maskil of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let us go before the Lord. Our Father in heaven, you are the one true God. There are no other gods before you. You have set your throne above the heavens. Your majesty and might know no bounds. 
Your steadfast love endures forever. We worship you, O God. We look to you in our weakness. We love you because you first loved us. Open our hearts, Lord, to hear from your word this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can understand the scriptures. Father God, help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, I am a broken, unworthy vessel. Please fill me with your power and might. I lay my weakness at your feet. May every word that proceeds from my mouth bring honor and glory to your name. I ask all these things in the most precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We begin this psalm this morning with an inscription above it. This inscription tells us that this is when Doeg, the Edomite, came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Now maybe you remember this story and maybe you don't, but I like to talk, so I'm going to give us a refresher. The backstory to this psalm is found in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. This story takes place when Saul is the king of Israel. Saul is the king, but David is the king in waiting. Samuel the prophet has come to David and told him that he would be the next king of Israel. Over time, David has risen in power in Israel. He is a mighty warrior, and he is gaining popularity within Israel. So much so, in fact, the current king, Saul, is beginning to feel threatened. Saul does not like the recognition that David is getting. It just tears him up inside. Since he was the king, he wanted all the respect and all the glory, and he hated that everyone loved David so much. So Saul has determined to kill David. Saul finds out, or David, sorry, finds out about this primarily through Saul's son, Jonathan. It gets so bad that David realizes he must not remain. He has to run. And one of the first places he runs to is a city called Nob. When he gets there, he meets with Ahimelech, the priest. Now David knows Ahimelech, and the priest asks him why he is traveling alone. David lies because he doesn't want to put Ahimelech's life in danger. David doesn't want him to know about what's going on between him and Saul. So he tells Ahimelech that he is on a mission for the king and is just passing through. David asks for food, and Ahimelech feeds him. Then David asks for a weapon, and interestingly enough, Ahimelech gives him the very sword he used to slay Goliath. Then David goes on his way. So David is on the run. Ahimelech probably didn't think much of the interaction, and Saul is angry. He's angry because of the favor that David has. He's angry because his own son, Jonathan, loves David and has helped him to escape. And then we have Doeg. Doeg was the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Doeg realizes that he has an opportunity to gain favor with the king. See, he saw David at the house of Ahimelech. He saw the priest feed David. 
He saw him give David a sword. So selfishly, Doeg sees the chance to be the guy who helps the king catch David. So he goes to Saul and tells him that he has seen David and someone who is conspiring to help him. Saul is looking for vengeance on David, but unfortunately this rage will land on Ahimelech. Saul calls for Ahimelech and sentences him to death and all his father's house. Saul turns to his guard and orders them to kill the priests of the Lord. But Saul's servants would not put out their hand against the priests of the Lord. So Saul turns to Doeg. He tells Doeg to strike down the priest. The Bible says that Doeg the Edomite turned and killed 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. He killed 85 priests. And if that wasn't bad enough, the Bible says he put Nob, the city of priests, to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of Ahimelech's sons escaped and told David what Doeg had done. It is after this massacre has happened that David writes Psalm 52. This psalm is easily broken down into three sections. We have verses 1 through 4, which addresses Doeg's wickedness. In verse 5, we see God's response to this wickedness. Then in verses 6 through 9, we see the believer's response to God's response to the wickedness. David begins this psalm with a question. Now remember, he has just received the news that Ahimelech and all these people have been killed. And he asks, why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? David knew that Doeg wanted recognition from the king. He wanted it so bad, in fact, that he was willing to do anything to get it. But notice how verse 1 takes an abrupt turn. The steadfast love of God endures all the day. We see this contrast. David says, why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. See, in the midst of the awfulness happening all around David, he is convinced that the steadfast love of God endures. He knows that God is faithful. David knows that God does not forget his children. Yet Doeg, in his foolishness, runs to evil and embraces it. Why would you choose to run from God is the argument that David is making here. David goes on to express the heart of Doeg further in verses 2 through 4. Your tongue plots destruction. Doeg went to Saul and purposefully planned to hurt Ahimelech. Then he massacres everyone in the city of Nob. David writes these first four verses to Doeg. But I want to point out here that David never mentions the massacre in Psalm 52. He only addresses the heart. This is because it is the heart of Doeg that leads him to this act. David says in verse 3, You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. 
David recognizes that it is the heart that causes this. Friends, this is a great reminder for all of us. Every act of evil is born from a heart that is evil. We are all broken and born with this nature of sin. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? People don't just make wicked choices. People have hearts that are ruled by wickedness. You'll notice that the word love is used in verses 3 and 4. You love evil more than good. Verse 4, you love all words that devour. David knew that wicked actions come from a heart set on wickedness. Doeg was acting in correlation with his true nature. Now it's easy for us to point fingers at him and shake our heads, but the truth is we are all born with the same heart that Doeg was. All of us are born with a heart that loves evil more than good. Do you know why we live in a world where people do awful things to one another? Because we are born in sin and have hearts that love evil more than good. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you realize what is happening here? Paul just put us in the same category as Doeg. We are born with the same capability, the same capacity for sin that Doeg was. So let me ask us a question this morning. What is your brand of wickedness? Pornography? Drugs? Alcohol? Just because I'm not mentioning yours doesn't mean it's not there. Hatred? If you're sitting there this morning and you think you don't have a brand of wickedness, you can start with pride. Because Satan has deceived you. Moving on to verse 5. We see here God's response to the wickedness. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. As David considers this evil act, one thing he is sure of, it will not go unpunished. How often have you wondered as you look around and we see all the unchallenged evil happening all around us? Where is God? How can this person or group of people thrive in sin with seemingly no consequence? 
David knows that for what Doeg has done, there will be consequences. And he uses pretty vivid language in verse 5. He says, God will break you down, snatch and tear you, and uproot you. All these directional terms happening. Let me give you a quick breakdown of what each of these terms means. Break you down refers to when God commanded his people to go and crush a city. Break down the walls and destroy the buildings. And he says to Doeg, God will break you down. When the Bible talks about God smashing idols and crushing them, David says to Doeg, for what you have done, God will break you down forever. Then he says, God will snatch and tear him from his tent. What is his tent? It's the place where he lives. It's the place where he finds shelter. It's the place where his family gathers, where he finds comfort and peace. David says, God will snatch and tear him from his tent. Then he says, God will uproot him. Uproot him from the land of the living. Uproot is a word here that is talking about a tree. A tree is planted, right? Its roots are deep. And God will take that tree that otherwise seems firmly planted, and he will uproot it. God will rip it right out of the ground. With all these things, David is describing God's actions towards the workers of evil. See, David understands the character of God, the heart of God. God is holy and just, and sin cannot stand before him. All who oppose him will be punished. I think in the case of Doeg, it's pretty easy for us to look at what he has done and be like, yes, God, break him down. Snatch and tear him away and uproot him from the land of the living. Right? But can I take you back to Ephesians 2 for a moment and remind you that you had a heart like Doeg? That I had a heart like Doeg? That means we too were under the wrath of God. Do you know what we deserve for those sins, my friends? To be broken down, snatched and torn away, and uprooted from the land of the living. I asked you earlier what your brand of wickedness was. I'd like to take a moment to share mine. My brand of wickedness is hatred and racism. I have believed that hatred was strength for most of my life. I came from a Christian home. I want you to see those quotation marks as we... We use the term Christian real loose in this country. I came from a Christian home, but my dad always had a derogatory term for everyone that wasn't white. And for me. 
I was called terrible things as a child. And it took root inside of me and became a monster. I hated people. But I had a special hate for people that were a different color. I even went as far as to tattoo that hate on me. What is someone like me doing behind a pulpit preaching the word of God? I am the chief of sinners. I deserve to be broken down, snatched and torn away, and uprooted from the land of the living. But now let's look at the next three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Amen, Scott? Verse 4 begins with, but God. Amen? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's as good as it's going to get. So if you don't amen that, there's nothing, nothing else. Once we are saved by the grace of God, we become alive in Jesus. He creates in us a new heart. That is our hope. That is the peace we have in Jesus Christ. As we work through this psalm, we see that evil comes from an evil heart and that God will judge evil. God will judge the wicked. He will not let this continue forever. So how should we feel about the judgment of God on the wicked? How are we supposed to process that? Verse 6, the righteous shall see and fear and laugh at him, saying, verse 7, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Now, obviously, the way we should respond to the judgment of the wicked is much bigger than just these two verses. But here we are seeing two different responses. David is saying here that the righteous, the people who love God and keep his commandments, will see God's judgment on Doeg and fear. Now, this fear is not referring to, be a, be, to being afraid of God. It means we, we are to stand in awe and respect and reverence. Here we have a reminder of the holiness of God. God is not only just, he is justified in pouring out his wrath on those that oppose him. David says the righteous will see and fear and be in awe that the God of the universe will punish wickedness. 
So as we consider the judgment of God, there should be a level of woe. Right? But then for me, David says something very interesting. He says the righteous will see and fear and then laugh. David says they will laugh at him saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Now, wait a second. There seems to be a far cry for me between fear and laughter. So are we supposed to stand in fear or laugh? This isn't a laugh like, ha ha, you're getting what you deserve. It's more of a satisfaction or a relief, if you will. It's a comfort in knowing that things are being made right. That the holy God will vindicate his children. That his holy name will prevail. And God will make things right against who? God will make things right against the man who would not make God his refuge. Doeg trusted in himself instead of trusting in God. When we trust in ourselves and we live for ourselves, that is the path that leads to destruction. So to recap on this, I don't want us to misunderstand this this morning. We are not to become mockers. This is an inward thankfulness to God that he will set things right. Let's zoom out for a moment and take a look at the big picture. From the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, we have been a people in rebellion against God. And justice has been shown in small ways throughout history. But there is coming a day when God will judge every man according to his deeds. On that day, all who have called on the name of Jesus and made him his, their personal Lord and Savior will rule and reign with him for eternity. But for all those who would not make God their refuge, who followed the pleasures of their flesh and of the world, will be cast into the fires of hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go back to our text. In the first four verses, David considers the heart that would commit these terrible deeds. Then in verse 5, he talks about the judgment of God towards this wickedness. In verses 6 and 7, David tells us how we should respond to the justice. Then in verse 8, David considers his own heart. In verses 8 and 9 now, we are looking at the heart of the righteous. A heart washed in the blood of the Lamb. As David considers the heart of the wicked and the judgment that comes with those choices, it brings him to a place where he must consider his own heart and what he has to do to not end up in that same situation. What did Doeg do wrong? 
He trusted in himself and did not make God his refuge. So in verse 8, David isn't bragging. This is his heart. This is where he wants to be, as should we this morning. He says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Verse 9, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Now, I don't know how quickly or David wrote. Okay, this is speculation. But I imagine him just pondering the wicked heart of Doeg and the sure and certain judgment of God against him. And then he thinks, but what about my heart? Where is my heart? What about us? Where is your heart this morning? Where is my heart this morning? We know the wickedness of our hearts. And we know that there are those who will continue to rebel and run. And we know what their end will be. Their end is clear. It will be judgment from the Almighty God. We consider that, but we would be fools to not consider our own hearts. David is making a comparison here between himself and Doeg, who is being uprooted from the land of the living, but David says that he is like a green olive tree planted in the house of God. And why is that? Because of the second half of verse 8. I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. It's the contrast we saw in verse 1. David is saying, why would you boast in evil instead of trusting in the steadfast love of God? For those of us that know the story of David, we know that David was far from perfect. But you see his heart here. He says, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. He wants to be like a green olive tree planted where? In the house of God. I love that imagery. How beautiful to be planted in the house of God. It takes me back to Psalm 1 where David uses another tree analogy. Psalm 1 and Psalm 52 are very similar in the fact that they both compare the future of the wicked to the future of the righteous. I want to quickly share it with you before we close. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. 
and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But in verse 4, he says that the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, where is your heart this morning? Are you going to be uprooted by God? Or are you the green olive tree planted in the house of God? We are all born into sin. That much is unavoidable. But what have you done about it? Let me put this very simply. What is the difference? Now I want you to think about this. What is the difference between the righteous and the wicked? Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God. Jesus is the difference between righteousness and wickedness. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. You know, as I was preparing this, I was like, we always land here. Except there's nowhere else to land. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. As you listen this morning, don't become calloused to the call for salvation. When we do this, be thankful you're a child of God or get up here and get it done. There is nothing more important or of more value that you can do than give your heart to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come before you today thankful for your son. Thank you for making a way for us to be reconciled to you. We exalt and magnify the name of Jesus. We worship you, lover of our souls. May we live only to bring glory and honor to you. Father, I ask if anyone here today does not know you, please save them. Please draw them to yourself through your irresistible grace. Lord, we trust in your steadfast love forever and ever. We love you and we thank you for everything that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do. We are your people and you are our God. I ask all these things in the highly exalted name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, you're not quite done with me, so just hang tight. This brings us to our time of communion. And I would ask you again, Christian, where is your heart? Are you already on the couch having lunch? I thought you were raising your hand. I was like, oh. 
<laughs> she was just brushing hair back. She's good. The second the table's freed up, I don't want you to just run up here and take it. I want you to ask God to search your heart and see if there is any wicked way in you. And then confess and repent. I feel like that's another thing that gets missed. Don't confess your sin knowing you're going to go home and do the same thing. Confession and repentance are very different. Oh, repentance is a turning away. It's a laying down. It's what the symbolism of the altar is for, so that we can come and fall before God. God, take this from me. If you are not yet a child of God, I said we can get that done. You talk to Scott, myself, Stephen, We'd love to help you with that. But if you're not a child of God, I would ask you not to partake. This is for believers only. As you come down, come down the center aisles and then go back to your seats from the outside to help with the flow of people coming up. The cups are double stacked. The juice is on top. The bread is on the bottom. Please take a complete stack. The blue buckets are up here as always, so you can bring your offering before the Lord. Give as you feel led by the Spirit to do. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. Just has new meaning for me now. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a privilege we have to partake in this. Take a moment, prepare your heart, and come as you're ready.